you know, I see some people like, like Corey Robin is always saying this view, like Democrats should be more left wing because this whole fascism thing is fake. And, you know, we should, we should just kind of go for it. But like, I don't think it's fake. Brian, is it fake? Are you part of the Taylor, the Taylor Swift Pfizer agenda? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm driving it. Look like <laughs> three Jewish people on a podcast. Of course, we're pulling all the strings. Hey, everyone, you're listening to a free preview of the Politics podcast. Um, in this episode, Matt and I will discuss the E. Jean Carroll verdict, the wedge it drives into Republican politics, um, and the related GOP paranoia about Taylor Swift. Then uh, paid subscribers will hear from Leah Greenberg, who's the impresario of the resistance, um, founder of Indivisible, on what it would take to fill the streets with the, the Trump opposition before rather than after the election. Uh, so we hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you like what you're hearing and want to listen to the whole episode, uh, you can upgrade uh, to a, becoming a paid subscriber at politics.fm. Hello, and welcome to Politics, the podcast. I'm Brian Boyler. I'm Matthew Iglesias. Um, so this week, um, we're going to discuss the nearly nine-figure judgment a jury awarded E. Jean Carroll in her defamation suit against Donald Trump. Um, but first, we, we did want to acknowledge or, or, or uh, put a pin in the immigration and border security fiascos unfolding in Washington and Texas. You want to say a little bit about what's going on, Matt? Well, you know, I mean, I, long story short, um, it seems like Senate negotiators uh, reached a deal on a border security Ukraine-Israel funding package, uh, which I know there'd been a lot of skepticism about. A lot of Democrats had thought, well, Republicans are going to do like Lucy and the football on this because they're going to want to blame Biden. Uh, but Senate negotiators, Senate Republicans made a deal. And then Donald Trump said, you shouldn't do a deal uh, because I want to just blame Biden. And, you know, I, I this was a moment where it, it wasn't so crazy that they, they would try to pull this. But Trump and, and Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, are so, um, they're, they're so raw that I would say they are doing this with a, a, a lack of art. You know, it has been it has been fairly widely reported in the mainstream press that like this is what happened. Like Trump just like put it on Truth Social, and then House Republicans were like, "Oh yeah, we should just do what Trump says." Um, you know, I and, and it's uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll we'll have to see where we are a, a week with it. But I mean, this is a you know to the extent that politics is a game of inches, um, they are they are giving inches away on this and taking what had been a really strong issue for them and kind of bobbling it. Um, but I think Brian and I have some some disagreements about Biden's handling of this and, and what else is going on. And we, we want to give it give it full time to decant. Yes, it's it's sort of a still unfolding situation. Uh, we wanted to devote a whole episode to it. And it's also it's dovetailing with the somewhat better choreographed uh crisis of nullification crisis that governor greg abbott in texas is stoking um at the u.s mexico border in texas um which is kind of drawing all of republican politics in um and they're they're, they're trying to make joe biden either quote unquote open the border or um like cave to greg abbott in this power play and that is also super unsettled so we think maybe a week from now we'll we'll have a clearer picture of things and be able to sort of 
talk about it with more certainty about how things are unfolding. So this week, E. Jean Carroll. Yes. A lot of money. Yeah, she got an $83 million defamation verdict. And so, I mean, I guess the, the legality of this is that she... Now, Republicans want us to be very clear <laughs> that what, what the court found was not that Trump had raped her, but that he was guilty of a sexual assault. Abuse. Abuse, abuse. is the term. And this is... I just... Like, we should be clear. Sexual abuse is... This term stems from the words in New York law. But if... If what the, the the jury initially found Trump liable for happened to anybody you care about, you would call it rape. You would at least call it sexual assault. So yeah, they, they so they are they think that they like they got this sort of gotcha that that like there's some sort of assault inflation happening among liberals, but it's actually both that they're gross for trying to um, you know um, fuzzy up the difference and and also when you delve into what what like the legal issue is. It doesn't exonerate Trump. It's just so, that's the, ter so the, the way, term in law. What happened is that she went public with an accusation that Trump had assaulted her. And then Trump, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that there was like going to be legal evidence to convict in a criminal court on the basis of what she had said. Those kinds of claims are very challenging uh, to bring. But then Trump fired back at her in ways that opened her to countersue him for defamation, um, you know, where all the legal mechanics now are different again. So she wound up getting her day in court due to Trump's, you know, fundamental lack of discipline. Um, and the jury found against him, uh, they ruled an $83 million against him. Uh, my understanding is that he can avoid actually paying this money pending appeals. Um, and his legal team is, um, quite good at nothing else at uh, just delaying action on various kinds of things. Um, you know, Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Because my, under my understanding is he can avoid giving the money to her, but he has to, he has to pony up in some form or another, right? Like he can put the money into escrow. A bond of some kind. Yeah. Bond, right? Like he needs, yeah. he needs to put up money so that he can't appeal squire away all the money yes 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 and, and then when when he loses on appeal be like well the money's gone right and so you know i mean if you're a conservative like the thing you're supposed to say right and Nik nikki haley is still out there with her no longer really alive campaign finally disputing this but is that like this would just happen that like the libs and this like vast conspiracy, which is go after any Republican in this way. And so the fact that Trump keeps losing court cases doesn't provide any information about him. And, you know, again, it's just like it defies common sense. Like we've had a lot of presidential elections in our lifetime. A um, hundred percent of them have featured Democrats saying mean things about their opponent, but none of them have featured these particular things uh, because Trump is doing a particular aberrant behavior. Um, yeah, I, I do think this relates. I, if you're not totally brain poisoned, uh, you may not realize that a big thing on the conservative internet is the idea that the relationship between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs' success in playoff football are all part of a larger conspiracy that involves... Um, Swift having previously endorsed Phil Bradison against Marsha Blackburn involves Kelsey having done a um, sponsorship deal for COVID vaccines with Pfizer and that 
the the powers that be are building up this couple in order to then like come out and endorse Biden and and swing the election against Trump and it's completely absurd as stated um but i think you know it, it reflects right that like how come this like famous successful white jock couple like isn't on team Republican, right? Like this is something that seems to bother them. And obviously I think a big part of the reason is that it's become a political movement that is full of insane conspiracy theories and people on the internet yelling at you that it was sexual abuse, not rape, right? And so like, of course, Taylor Swift doesn't want to align with that, right? Um, and, you know, but it, it it's... It's like, it's not important, but I think it is telling, right? It's telling as to what is going on in American society in Trump era politics, which is different from like the congressional politics, right? Like the, the, the big progressive like message about America isn't that like Trump is a scumbag and the conservative movement is ick. Right. It's that like we have these like big problems that we need to solve, blah, 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 blah. But from the standpoint of Taylor Swift, you know, and I think she's a stand in for a lot of other people, uh, like successful, independent minded women who just find the behavior of Donald Trump and his defenders to be appalling and have felt that way, you know, for a long time, um, going back at least to the Access Hollywood tape, if, if not before. Yes. So, I mean, it- the the Eugene Carroll verdict dovetails with I think the um, the emergence of of the capital R resistance in early 2017 very neatly right you're just kind of explaining like that uh, movement formed after Trump won despite having been caught on tape bragging about being able to get away with sexual assault here he didn't get away with sexual assault totally um, and he he actually. A jury found him liable for it, um, but uh, um, but the despite the fact that the there's a through line between like the Access Hollywood tape and mass demonstrations against Donald Trump, I think you've seen all along that the like congressional party like has been scared of this issue, like or at least just doesn't want to touch it. I mean, like Nancy Pelosi in the in the long interregnum between the Access Hollywood tape and the E. Jean Carroll lawsuit was asked about all the other women who Trump has, who have come forward publicly to accuse Trump of assaulting them. And she was like, I don't know what Congress's role is here. I I don't know the person who's making these allegations. And we're going to like, you know, this is a, this is a problem for the Republican party to deal with. And we're going to move on to, you know, whatever, whatever the house Democrats want to do. Um, and I find that a little bit mystifying, right? Like Congress is, yes, a place where you write legislation that has to do with the big substantive issues of the day. But it's also a place where you focus public attention on things that you think are important, right? And that, and that matter whether there's like a, like a clear policy nexus or not. And here we are. Nancy Pelosi is no longer the leader of the House Democrats. And Democrats don't even have a, like a majority in the House. So they couldn't really come like you use the committees there to to do anything with this Carroll verdict. But like the Senate Democrats don't seem like they're like ready to 
to like grab the football from Eugene Carroll and judge Lewis Kaplan and be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make sure everyone knows about this. We're going to make sure people understand, you know, why, how Trump might try to avoid paying up, why, why this judge is warning the jurors, like not to disclose that they were ever on the jury. Well, so, but I, I think like, let's go back to access Hollywood, right? Cause there, there was a tremendous swinging of the conventional wisdom pendulum, right? On this, which was when that tape came out, every quote unquote everybody thought like this is it trump is toast right like an election that he was already on track to lose according to the polls was now like out of reach and a lot of republicans like unendorsed him at that point like prominent people because it was it was like embarrassing and and he was he was obviously going to lose um then clearly he won um you know to to drag this back to football right um you know it, it, in the uh, conference championship game, you know, you had the coach, um, and he, he went for it a couple times on fourth down and then they didn't make it. And so then all the, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking literally is like, well, you see, it's, it's a bad idea to go for it on fourth down. And then everyone else is like, but statistically. And so I think you, you saw something similar, right? Which was that Trump had egregious character flaws in 2016, and Hillary tried really, really hard to capitalize on those. Like, that was genuinely the centerpiece of her campaign against Trump, uh, especially if you look at the paid advertising that she did, as well as it dominated the media, right? There were very few articles about Donald Trump's policy agenda, and there were almost no ads from Hillary about Donald Trump's policy agenda. It was that whole campaign was about what a piece of shit he was. And she lost. And that then generated this like 180, right? To the point where, you know, you're talking about Nancy Pelosi's like, did he rape a bunch of people? I don't care. <laughs> and I like I just I don't believe that Nancy Pelosi doesn't care. If you know what I mean, just like yeah. no, knowing knowing people in the world, right? But the the lesson that Democrats took from 2016 was that persuadable voters did not care about that stuff as much as they had thought, or nearly as much as they cared in their own hearts, and so they had to really bite their tongues and stay away from it. Which I'm ambivalent about. I mean, I, I think that there was an element of wisdom in the idea that you are more likely to get a prominent TV news segment about a Trump scandal than you are about how, like, Trump proposed cutting Medicare. And so maybe with your free time, what you need to do is try to get that Medicare story into the news because other people are going to be talking about Gene Carroll, right? Like, this has not been an obscure story, even though Democrats haven't really wanted to level it. At the same time, um, I, I think it, like, clearly did hurt Trump. Like, Yes, I, I, the, I, like I, the reasoning I, is I, fallacious I, all I, the way I, down. I bring, and this is why I think, like, like, Taylor is relevant to this in a lot of ways. I mean, I think that a lot of, particularly women who are not super political, were highly mobilized against Trump specifically because of this kind of thing. And that, you know, there's a, there was like the women's March as an institution and the organizers of the women's March are like very left-wing veteran activists, but the people who marched, you know, my, my, my stepmother, 
um, were like just kind of like normal people who I think would not have characterized themselves as like super geared up about the policy stakes of 2016. To me, the whole thing is just a propter hoc fallacy, right? Like Access Hollywood came out, Trump's polls dipped, but he won anyway. Ergo, that scandal didn't hurt him. And I mean, you can you can you can see everything that happened going forward from there. Like he lost horribly in the next midterm. He lost the re, his reelection campaign, and and his candidates did really badly in twenty twenty two. And you can imagine that there's no connection between the two. But I think that that's completely strained, and that like the 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 lesson isn't the bad things Trump does don't hurt him. It's that when Trump does bad things, don't rest on your laurels about it, right? Like it's, it's he can still win even though everyone saw this. And if you play your inner pundit and decide, well, now that now the election's cooked and Trump is going to lose. And so I'm going to go check out, check out a movie on, uh, on Tuesday instead of voting, or I don't really like Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or whoever the candidate has to be. And so I'm going to take the opportunity to like, register my protest by not voting knowing that the 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 person who really ought not be president isn't going to win like that cycle of thinking can just lead to the person on the access hollywood tape winning anyway but then the lesson if you interpret it that way is that you need to tell people look look like keep that in mind and also that if if you cool your heels now he could win but there are but there are a lot of dimensions to this, right? Like if you are um say you're you're Sherrod Brown, right? So, you know, Sherrod Brown's a good politician. He's been winning elections uh for a long time. He, you know, but if you look at his 2018 results, he he won, but relative to to national opinion, he didn't do that great. Um not because he's a bad politician, but because Ohio has become a very conservative state. Right. And in 2020, Trump got uh, 53 percent of the vote there. Uh, in 2016, I think he did even better. He, he No, sorry. It's just Hillary did even worse than Biden. But a majority of people in Ohio voted for Trump twice. Sherrod Brown in 2018 got some of those Trump voters to cross the aisle and vote for him. And in 2024, like he needs to do that again. Right. And so I do think if you are Sherrod Brown, it is a bad for you if the whole national policy debate is just, is Donald Trump a piece of shit? Because most people in Ohio, it's not that they've never heard that criticism, right? I mean, we can go into the elaborate dimensions of psychology that have led them to tune it out or to not care or something like that. Or they're just siloed in their whatever media that won't tell them, like literally just will not mention that Donald Trump had this judgment against them. Yes, I mean, some of that. But I mean, some of it is that like, you know, Ohioans who voted for Obama twice, right? And then voted for Trump twice, but who voted for Sherrod Brown in 2018. They have some set of opinions about like what the parties are and what they stand for, right? In which like Sherrod's rumpled suit, I was against China like before Donald Trump ever came along. I'm glad he now agrees with me about that, but I'm here protecting your Medicare and your Social Security. We got to tax the rich. You don't understand what's in this tax bill. I mean, that really does strike me as like the most plausible route for him, 
Whereas the like centering of Trump, you know, is a is a problem for him. And if you think back to Pelosi, and you know, part of what she's doing is protecting those frontline members, uh, and then part of it, and you know, what I'm uh, looking forward to to talking about with with Leia and, and about Indivisible is an effort by progressives with big issue ambitions to like put on the table their kind of big ideas. I mean, you're saying, you know, you don't want people to to stay home and protest vote, uh, which I agree with. And that's kind of like a, like a low, a low lift. Right. But it's like, you know, if you want to completely transform the American energy system, you like, you have to say that at some point, recruit candidates who agree with that convey that like, this is a political party for people who want to transform the American energy system. And I feel way more confident that Taylor Swift, um, you know, doesn't like uh, rapists than that she shares like all of Elizabeth Warren's policy ambitions. And, you know, that's just like part of the, 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 the question of like, who, who wants a big tent strategy? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, we're going to just end up where, where we often do. I just like tense for whom? I mean, I, I, I don't, well, but I want to hear about Sherrod, Sherrod, like what, what, what should, what should he do? What should he well, say? I think, about so here's, tent? here's, I, I, I don't have any specific criticism of Sherrod Brown. I have criticism of the mindset that says to protect Sherrod Brown, we should back burner our character based attacks on Donald Trump. The, you know, back th- this happens all the time with the out party is that they have marginal members, frontline members who are really cautious about what they do and say, because the president is of the other party. And um, like, that's just going to draw out a lot of people who are going to vote against them. And so they, they just want to be real ginger about the things that they say and do. So I'm not saying that Sherrod Brown needs to put on a pink hat and go March. I'm saying that, the leaders of the party and the people at the DNC and at the DSCC, the House Speaker, the Senate, Dem- the Senate Democratic leader, like, should not think in order to protect Sherrod Brown, we need the whole party to withdraw from one-on-one combat with Donald Trump, right? Like, like the the, the marginal members in in Mitch McConnell's conference in uh, 2009 and, and 2010 weren't the ones out there talking about death panels. But mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell understood that having Chuck Grassley out there talking about death panels or Sarah Palin talking about death panels was good for those members because the farther Barack Obama's approval rating fell, the good, the, the better for everyone in the whole party. Um, and like, I think yeah, that but, okay, Mitch McConnell but so, was right about that. And I, I, Democrats okay, just never okay, learned but, it. Okay, but here's, but here's a slight, like, like a difference, right? is that it's true that the marginal members in 2010 weren't like death panels, you know, um, Obamacare's reparations, whatever. Uh, But they were running against the ACA, right? The message, the message from, you know, whoever, um, they they were all kind of like pointing in the same direction. Whereas whereas Trump and Democrats, uh, sorry, Democrats in the Trump era, I think are feeling this tension between like do the policy argument or do the the kind of personality argument. And they're and they keep struggling. I mean, I, I think the answer is that like Hillary should have ran fewer character ads, but not zero, which is a little bit boring. 
Maybe. Uh, Maybe. I mean, uh, I, you know, I think that there was something sui generis about Trump in his first campaign, right? Like there was such a widespread sense that Republicans were sleepwalking into into a fiasco and they were going to like they basically gave the election away and nobody could imagine what a Trump presidency was going to be like. And since he was going to lose anyway, you know, because it was such an unthinkable thing and he was losing so badly that people were just like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I want this election and then I'm going to deal with Hillary Clinton for four years or or eight years and then we'll, we'll, we'll reconsider after that. Having been president, I don't think that the same dynamics or thought processes are going to govern a whole lot of people. They, like everyone knows he can win. And right, so, we- and so like playing up the, whether it's the Eugene Carroll verdict or the, the criminal liability is just good for the whole party. But you know what? There is somebody whose take on this is probably better rooted in uh, experience and fact than either of ours. Yeah. So let's kick out the freeloaders. <laughs> and, uh, bring- right. Um, if, if, uh, if you've enjoyed it thus far and you want to hear more, including um, all of our past episodes and also the wise Leah Greenberg, um, all of our episodes to come, uh, please visit politics.fm and subscribe. Thanks. Thanks.